greetings, Gothamites, and welcome to a very special 67th episode of I Am The Night. We cover Season 2, Episode 8 of Batman the Animated Series, an episode called Time Out of Joint. But why is this episode special? I hear you ask. It's because I'm with two of my favouritest humans on planet Earth. Of course, the regular partner in crime, Adam Ray. Hello, I have returned to talk more about Batman-flavoured things. Mmm, Batman. And... My other favouritist human, co-host on Superheroes for Dummies, the incredible, the inimitable Mr. Paul McGuigan. Hello, they do indeed call me very special. Thank you very much for having me here. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to have a really sincere friend to talk about how our favourite thing. We've brought you onto into the wider world of podcasting as a whole, and you've done great things with uh, the front Friends of Comics in Motion, but now we talk Batman very down the middle. It's going to be good. Oh yes, do check out Paul's work, which will come to later in the episode but for now we're going to talk about time out of joint written by alan burnett and steve perry and directed by dan rebo which features the return of the clock king gentlemen your thoughts really strong great swashbuckle and like a nice uh, expansion on a new villain created by the show but yeah i'm very happy to see this one i did loosely remember this one because again i was a tiny tiny child when this show's first aired back here in the in Blighty, so um, uh, various faint glimmers and memories here and there was said to be a bound, but yeah, I I do remember this one well, and it's nice to see it back. Yeah, I uh, I've only seen a few episodes, I think, when I was younger. Definitely don't remember this one, but that just could be because I don't remember what yesterday happened. Uh, <laughs> but yes, it was very good. It was I've never come across the Clock King before, so this was a nice introduction. To him for me very interesting character mm-hmm. um slightly outside of the normal little character i'd expect in the batman universe so yeah it's very good and he's yet yeah, only his second appearance in the show and he's loosely based on several other characters that we talked about in his previous appearance that have appeared in comics but this character temple fugit um is a, a creation of this series and like you said paul well well spotted i agree with you very different sci-fi element yeah. to this episode. Very high sci-fi, just like being able to distort and rewind time. I don't know why, this is probably my own brain thinking, but uh, you, my, you're probably not, but are you familiar with um, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, Paul? Oh. Okay, they are a set of <laughs> Sesame Street-style puppets on YouTube. Um, but as the progress, as the stories that they're in go forth they've become very surreal and very scary and the second episode is about time right. and it's, and it's the three main characters are being sung to about time by a talking clock until eventually they watch themselves age up and die in real time on tv it's very dark i'll probably put it on for you afterwards but all i can think of is the actual song sung by the clock time is a tool you can put on the wall or wear it on your wrist the past is far behind us the future doesn't exist. What's the time? It's quarter to nine. Time to have a bath. Well, what do you mean? We're already clean. Scrub, scrub, scrub till the water's brown. <laughs> yeah. How many times have you watched this? <laughs> um, my several dear friends, some of the people I work with on um, No One Rehero doing Dungeons and Dragons stuff, we've um, done some pretty long essays about the weird esoteric lore of these, of these things. Well, don't, don't, don't let that fool you. This is Adam. Adam memorises things at the drop of a hat, which astound me. Yeah, um, I, I do have very good uh, retentive memory. If I watch something back enough, I can do it. I know um, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy like that. I know Ocean's Eleven like yes. that. I 
It's very helpful with um, my trading copies, so I know the, the interactions of a lot of the popular cards and stuff. I have I have one of those memories. I really do. Barbara Gordon would be so proud. I and I'll be proud to share memorizing memorization tips with Barbara Gordon. But I think we're much more interested in strange sci-fi text used by Mr. Temple Fugit. Yeah, well, what do you think of the sci-fi elements? You said that you know, this isn't what you'd expect from a, a Batman story. No, definitely not. It, the way that the character appeared initially, you didn't. Well, for me, I don't know how he, he first appeared in the series, but in this particular episode, he just kind of goes in a bit of light and appears. So you're not entirely sure to begin with what that's all about, and it's a bit like teleportation, maybe. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's that's. It's kind of the the thing that the animated series can do. Yeah, maybe give absolutely. things a little bit of a try. It was a little bit. It was strange, but not jarring. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I it's like that the kind of thing that you go, oh, this is a different direction, but I'm along for the ride. Very good. I mean, there was definitely character progression in this episode. He's he's changed greatly. In the first appearance, he was usually just someone who knew time timetables, how things work, when things happened, how things happened, and he planned his uh, method of, of operation accordingly. Here, obviously, he's gone in leaps and bounds due to the invention of Dr. Riccardi, who we'll talk about later, where he can, around himself, either speed up time or slow it to almost a standstill. So basically giving himself super speed. Yeah, effectively. Yeah. That was the how it would manifest, and it's certainly how it looked towards the end of the episode during the, the dramatic inclusion. But when you can manipulate time like that, it would appear that way to yes. some or others. Because uh, if you make everything around you so slow, you but you moving in normal speed, you would be going incredibly fast. You're making yourself incredibly fast compared to everything else. You're basically gone. It would look like those kinds of superpowers. Yeah, and this has been used since. Watching this again now, so I had forgotten the majority of this episode, I've seen comics and movies that have taken this concept of actually slowing down or speeding up time and then everyone around it thinking, oh, wow, that person's actually moving really fast. Well, actually, they're moving at normal speed. We're just moving really slow. I've seen that used yeah. since. And it, it reminds me a bit of um, Flash. Yeah, they sort of done that in the opposite direction where yes. normally you see him just zooming around all over the place and then you have the scene with the cat and everything. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so they've kind of took it in the opposite direction. Yeah, absolutely. I think an example of this would probably be um, Hero from Bat Show Heroes, the yes. realistic superhero show that started amazing, then sort of petered out and fizzled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, poor thing had great ideas and he was one of my favorite characters because he displayed similar sort of powers within himself didn't need any external tech so yeah it's definitely an interesting premise that could be used for a lot of different ways for good guys and bad guys really really cool and a cool villain because of his i don't know his, his whole demeanor he really sees himself as superior to everybody else i mean he's a smart guy we knew that from his first appearance and he's a smart guy here now but he's just obsessed with revenge Really, uh, we saw his first appearance. Him just trying to like get his just deserts against yeah. various people of um, administration and power across Gotham City until eventually it culminated with the mayor and Batman foiling his plans, which is why he's back at it again with uh, a more powerful weapon to his disposal. So, yeah, so we can see that he's been a lot more determined and had to literally up his game with uh, reality warping physics to do it. Yeah, he he definitely came across as 
overconfident, mm -hmm. very, his demeanor was sort of polite but firm in a very, I'm better than you. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely something you can expect from these hyper-intelligent villains. Uh, your Riddlers and your Scarecrows are definitely good with this. And I think there's something about that in Batman villains. He can definitely draw out those super intellectuals to sort of match him as a, in a battle of wits sort of way, which is something you wouldn't expect Batman to be doing because he's also very seasoned King Batman, which is why I love this series so much. We get that out element of Batman in both ways yeah, consistently. Absolutely. What, what I love about Batman is he's in 99% of the cases. He actually is smarter than all of them, but he doesn't lord it over them and say he's smarter or act like he's smarter. He just does it by beating them every single time. Yeah, we, he... There's a saying in there somewhere that my brain can't quite reach to, but his his actions say it more than his words. And Absolutely. He will just, he'll just do it. He'll beat you, and then he'll go home and have a nap. Yes, he will. For however many minutes he needs because he's learned power sleeping. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Two hours a day is all he needs, and he doesn't even have to have them concurrently. Oh, must be nice. Oh, genius. Yeah, sleep. Love it. Good at it, but it's a horrendous waste of time. Yep. <laughs> but let's talk about Batman and Robin and Commissioner Gordon and all the other characters that appear in this episode, because they all get a little bit of time. But what I did love, and Paul, obviously, I don't know if you're as obsessed with this as Adam and I are, <laughs> that Batman is extremely good at vanishing mid-conversation and being a genuine pain in the bum, yes. but... In this instance, in Commissioner Gordon's office, maybe it's the fact he was with Robin. You actually see him leave and swing out of the window and Commissioner Gordon watches it. Is he less of a dick when Robin's around? <laughs> That's an interesting point, yeah, because it was a very strange case of, Commissioner, we're just going to climb out the window. Yeah. yeah. One of the, going from the complete disappearing in thin air to the other side of wait while we have this awkward exit it's complete <laughs> yeah so maybe yeah. you you can count on someone dressed as a bat to take jumping out of a window as a fairly normal stride mm -hmm. um i don't think it's something i actually encourage anyone to do the bat thing or the jumping out of windows thing. yes but um still in any case it was a very i didn't know i didn't notice how strange it was until you just brought it up but it's like yeah it is a little strange I figured that it was because he was still explaining the uh, the investigation process as he was climbing out. So he still had things to say to Jim. I feel like the sensors in his power and his mask to be able to hear from a distance would be good enough for him to be able to catch what Jim Gordon's saying as he's swooping away yeah. and vanishing into the mist. So he's not losing anything in the conversation. Yeah. But he's sticking around and letting himself have a dramatic answer because he still has something to say. Batman just likes to... I don't know. But I do believe that's the first and only time he's done that in this series. Every other time it's been a complete, he's gone. I guess part of the problem is, especially, I think it comes back to the point of he's got Robin with him. How awkward, as soon as Commissioner Gordon turns his back, usually he'll just go. Yeah. How awkward is it? Quick, Robin, quick, come, quick, he's going to But it doesn't quite work quite subtly. Yeah. It'd either be that or it'd be a case of in the Justice League movie of the Flash, Flash being left behind and Robin yeah. be like, oh, we just left. Well, that's, that's, that's not rude. very nice. That's rude. <laughs> and, then, and then leaving in his own way, doing the similar awkward shuffle. But yeah, I suppose that's a, that's a funny way to rationalise it. Just like, Robin, come on. Come on. There, he's not looking. Either that or having Dick with him makes him less of a dick. Uh... <laughs> But Externalized I, I, it. Yes, here we go. So I, I just had to bring that up because that to me was, whoa, 
Hang on a second. He actually left in plain view. What? Ah, Robin. Yes. And the way you put it, Paul. Yeah. Robin, right. Now. I did also <laughs> like the fact that after they left, Commissioner Golden didn't close the window. He closed the blinds as if, uh, oh, that was embarrassing. Yeah. Because <laughs> he would usually. You know, that makes me think of does Batman close the window politely, even though he's still slipping out? Or. Because he'd be used to just closing the blinds anyway because the window would already be closed, which would make you wonder how Batman escapes so effortlessly anyway. I always think that the window's just open and he's just gone and Commissioner Gordon's just like... So maybe, <sighs> so maybe Gordon's used to the window being open. He's just used to the drop that Batman leaves in his yeah, room. Yeah. Like, uh, well, it's quite warm in Gotham tonight. Yeah, I sleep shut the blind yeah. and that way if he decides to come back and explain something else to me I'll be here ready for him or just to be able to have him have that easy entrance in so that he can be like Jim I found some more evidence because <laughs> he does give him the jump scare yes. which is really, really unreasonable does. like to quote the honest trailer guys leave, be nice to grandpa cop yeah he's not getting any younger he's really not oh no so let's talk about then the villain of the piece and his nefarious schemes. Because honestly, those devices, as Professor Riccardi said, in the wrong hands would be very, very dangerous. And let's be thankful that it was Temple Fugit that got those devices because if someone like, oh, God forbid, Joker, hmm. it would have been a different story altogether. Yeah, I'm sure that if my brain was more engaged, once again, this is a common theme with me. Um, I could bring up some examples in film where there's been time devices connected to bombs and all this sort of stuff. Star Trek Enterprise, let's not go into that. Yeah, was all oh, about yeah. that. And all sorts of things could have happened with that. Very true. And um, with someone more chaotic like the Joker, who has such a skewed interest in chaos that not anything would be unaccountable, he would have gone to do immense destruction with it because he would have been able to get away very scot-free and just mm. look away with it and just i'd also know why but i feel like the joker would take that more like death frozen i can mess with you prank stuff yeah. seriously yeah, exactly. we even saw bits of that with uh temple Fuga. he probably spiked something in that uh security guard's thermos he stole the jelly beans from that one police officer mm-hmm. Um, oh, you'll have a nasty fall there to the lady who's yeah. lost all the papers. Well, he got his carpenters for that one. Though. Yeah, he did. That was quite nice, which is just another interesting point about why he was foiled the first time we saw him and then mm-hmm. again. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, yeah, just someone like the Joker, someone that much more unhinged would be more dangerous with tech like that. Yeah. Because Fugit is so driven towards his revenge, we're not so worried because he could just you know, he's going to do his revenge and then that'll be it. He'll go back to train spotting or something. <laughs> I mean, in his first appearance, he was literally someone obsessed with time um, who spouted ridiculous time-related puns. And in this episode, he's someone who's obsessed with time and spouts ridiculous time-related puns, but with super speed. Yeah. You see, he's evolved. He is, he has leveled up his powers. <laughs> Level 20, time-travelling speed freak. Well, that's what the time stops Spanner Dungeons and Dragons does. Yes, it does, actually. Yes, indeed. So, obviously, we've spoken about the actor that plays Temple in the previous episode. Obviously, we speak about Lauren Lester and uh, Kevin Conroy on a weekly basis, how awesome they are. But I actually want to talk about the actor who played Dr. Wakardi in this episode, because 
as soon as I heard the voice, I thought, I know this voice. Why do I know this voice? And obviously, you two know me quite well. Yep. I'm an obsessive, and I always do my research for every episode. So when the episode ended, I did my usual thing of looking up the actor who's Roscoe Lee Brown. But our special guest also did a bit of research on the actor that played the man with the mallet in the auction house at the beginning of the episode where the clock king makes his appearance and steals a timeless, valuable uh, clock from the Napoleonic era, was it? Uh, Louis XVI. Louis XVI. I don't know my French history. Pre-revolutionary. Pre that that They were probably 50, 60 years before Napoleon, roughly, if I'm right, if I remember right. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so... Let's learn about this actor because it's a fascinating story. Yes. Well, you had said to me that this show does love to use very, very big names yeah. in tiny little spaces. And yeah, this um, auctioneer wasn't on the screen for very long. Um, played by Alan Oppenheimer, um, a name which may tweak the ears of some people. Mm -hmm. um, so Alan has played lots of parts. Um, he was an actor for a while, but then moved into voice acting. He was Ming the Merciless. In the new adventure oh, with wow. Flash Gordon. He's had parts in Mighty Mouse, the Smurfs, Transformers. He was Alfred in Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. Oh, he's wow. loads of parts in video games. But he also is the third cousin of Robert Oppenheimer. Oh, oh wow. He's the yeah. theoretical physicist, father of the atomic bomb, and very much all about um, time and yeah. squared, which comes up in the episode. It, it really, really does. does. Um, yeah. Whether or not that was just a happy accident they had him in his books or they knew of him and dug him out, but that's quite a nice little nod. Absolutely. I'm just blown away that that kind of figure is in that line of work but was still able to find those, that many connections in this particular effectively bit part, but they still got someone of such great renown to do this quote-unquote bit part. That's why I love the voice coaching that they get in the show. Oh, yeah. The, the, the acting talent in this series is... Honestly, it's better than some actual live-action TV shows. It's, mm. it's phenomenal. Case in point, Roscoe Lee Brown and the famous voice which I recognise. Now, um, it would be easier to list what this man hasn't been in, but let's suffice it to say that to the American theatre-going audience in Broadway and off-Broadway and everywhere in between, he is like an equivalent of Patrick Stewart and, um, oh, blimey, Magneto, Ian uh, McKellen. He is a award-winning Shakespearean performer, and you could tell with the gravitas of his voice that he is such. For example, um, apart from winning virtually every award on stage, including joining the American Theatre Hall of Fame posthumously after his untimely passing in 2007. Oh. What hasn't this guy been in? Um, Barney Miller, uh, All the All in the Family, Good Times, Sanford and Son. Uh, Jumping Jack Flash, the movie, Superfly, Logan's Run, it's just a voice part, but his voice acting is beyond measure as well. He's the narrator in both movies. He was the replacement butler in the series Soap. He took over from Benson's Robert Guillaume in the series. He uh, won an Academy Award in a film with John Wayne, of all people, the Cowboys. But um, he actually is award, uh, Emmy Award nominated for playing kingpin in spider-man the animated series and he won the emmy for outstanding comedy performance in an episode of the cosby show as professor foster so this guy again the acting caliber of the people who are guest stars yeah. who may never appear again is phenomenal 
they really get seasoned, tenured actors to play effectively bit parts, and I really love and respect that. Yeah. Just adding on to that, the uh, we we mentioned the lady in the stairwell, mm-hmm. um, who I don't think actually says any words, just kind of makes noises uh, and beats him up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so so um, played by Tress McNeil. Uh, from Animaniacs, Babs, Babs Bunny in Tiny Toon, Daisy Duck, um, White wow. Parts in Simpsons, Futurama, Rugrats, and that was just the lady in the stairwell who goes a bit and beats him up. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Wow, an actual staple of uh, Warner Brothers voice acting. So it's very easy for them to get her on hand, but still, someone with that kind of tenure to just be like angry at a bad guy is a really respectful costume choice. Absolutely amazing. Now, obviously, this series is called Batman, the Animated Series. And again, I have to say, we see several different sides of our hero in this episode. We really do. There's, this is the interesting side of Batman where he spends the first... Actually, he spends more than the first half. He spends the majority of this episode completely in shambles. He's a step behind. He has mm-hmm. to keep trailing and chasing mm-hmm. after Plot King. He falls into his trap with the things displaced in time and could be potentially destroyed by a slow-moving car um, into not fully understanding how the technology he's using works and has to ask the the aging scientist how it works so that he can eventually foil his plans right at the end. We see Batman on the back foot but still being incredibly determined to try and get a result and succeed. So this is a unlikely take on Batman that I'm very happy to see. Yeah, this was very much... Uh... All along, you're wondering how exactly he's going to solve this one because he doesn't. He seems to have an idea of what's going to happen next, but then also doesn't. He seems to have an idea of who's doing it, but not. This is very, uh, yeah, on the back foot, trying to work out what's going on. Sort of in the know, but not really in the know. Yeah, which is something we never or very rarely see Batman doing, but. Again, to his credit, he uses the old noodle, he uses the tools at hand, and finds a way to win, which is, I say it most weeks, my favourite aspect of the character. I don't prescribe to the notion that a lot of people do that Batman is unbeatable. I would hate that. I would stop reading it. I would stop watching it. Batman is a man who will find a way. Sometimes he'll get his ass handed to him a few times on the way, and that I appreciate I don't like infallible heroes who are undefeatable. This god Batman that a lot of people uh, prescribe to the character doesn't work for me. He will find a way. Yes, he knows ways to take down the Justice League. Yes, he knows ways to beat just about anyone with powers in his world. But when someone new arrives, he will take the time to figure that person out. And that's what led him to becoming the world's greatest detective and being a problem solver, which is what I love about the character. Mm. It's interesting thinking about it. If you sort of take apart how he came to the conclusion, it does hinge on a few bits of luck. Mm? Yeah. And, and deduction. And deduction. Mm. But for example, he the only reason he was able to get back in time was because he got to the professor and the professor had a couple of devices left over. Mm-hmm. If that wasn't the case, what would have happened? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly that. There's uh, there's a lot of elements where we don't want to admit just how lucky our heroes get, how many breaks they yeah. catch, um, and sure enough, we're grateful for it. 
Uh, I think also that's probably an element of it being still a Saturday morning cartoon. We yes. do want to root for our heroes ultimately. Oh, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's it's interesting to note that, yes, sometimes the heroes do catch that break and it's okay. Because it still progresses the story forward. But if it was just, oh, he happens to cobble one together out of just some Yeah, that would have been ridiculous. That would have been a bit far-fetched. The fact that he caught the break in a logical way is something I've, I can forget. Yeah. But it's still important to see that Yes, our heroes can get lucky sometimes. The other thing I want to bring up, because let's be honest, for every Bruce Wayne, there's a Booster Gold. What other character who had access to that type of kit technology would be happy and content with that scientist mothballing it and putting it away never to be used again? Who wouldn't be tempted hmm. to take that and pervert it? but not Batman, which is one, again, of the aspects where he's had the opportunity countless times over the last 80-plus years to use superpowers, to have superpowered armor, to become an Iron Man-type character. But he just thinks it will take away his edge. I mean, what do you think of that aspect of him? That he could have, quite happily, and the presser probably would have let him, hmm. use those devices for his own for his own means. Yeah, I think that, that does show a great deal of self-control and understanding of, like you said, what, what would happen if that technology mm. got into somebody else's hands. You know, Batman is wonderful, but Batman has in the past one or two issues with people getting his stuff. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Really, really has. And um, yeah, self-control is probably the best way to put it because he would exhibit a lot of self-control because he knows how helpful some of the stuff he's been given could be or been offered could be i think he's been offered green mountain rings multiple times mm -hmm. at this point right mm -hmm. um it would be too i mean on, on a face of it it would be too easy for him to take that sort of stuff yeah but there are times when he knows that the the street level stuff that he does the most enforcing he doesn't necessarily need that sort of stuff and it would just be a laurel for him to rest on if he keeps it around too long as well, I mean, do you not think that he's witnessed in his years fighting crime how power of that level can corrupt and do more harm than good and he just doesn't want to have any part of that? Yeah. yeah. I think that would be a way to do it as well. He just doesn't want to he doesn't want to risk the temptation that uh, an extension or a power could bring. Absolutely. Right. So let's go to the part of the episode where each of us describes their main takeaways, things they've loved possibly not liked so much, and the main things that stuck in their noggins about time out of joint. Paul? I, I think, like you said, Adam, I like, I like the way that they're exploring the stories in a slightly different way for the format. Yeah. As I say, it's been a very long time since I've seen any of those, and this has kind of reminded me about the, the depths that they went to to their knowledge of the stories, their knowledge of the characters yeah. in the right format and for the right audience. This was a wonderful Batman story, a wonderful animated series. I think if you'd taken this story, maybe put it in a different format, it wouldn't have worked. Mm. But for this, I think it did. Not said. Oh, I definitely agree with that. Very strong positive message to take away from it, yeah. I think I wanted to highlight a wonderful bit of characterization, which is just so strong and true to Batman as a whole. He trusts himself and his senses, but he also trusts the people he's trained. Yeah. 
right at the beginning of the episode, um, Bix there just bored out of his mind, just not interested in the auction at all. But as soon as he thinks he sees Clock King, even there for a split second, uh, Batman, even though he's dressed and looking like Bruce Wayne, he will whip his head around and look around just to see it because he trusts the quality of his prototype. He trusts his judgment and be like, oh, he's, he's here. Of all people, we must be here. Let's have a look. No hesitation, just immediately starts looking and just is very quick to trust the people he's working with. And that's just so quintessentially Batman to me. What it is, I feel like that's just a strong sense of his own judgment for the character. Again, we're of an exact like mind because that's the exact point that I was going to bring up too. The Batman Robin dynamic, the Bruce Wayne Dick Grayson dynamic, because they're there as father and adopted son at an auction where one's there literally just to make an appearance as Bruce Wayne to keep his shareholders at bay and the other one's just there because well he probably didn't have a date that night <laughs> but like you said the second Fugit appears Batman does not doubt Dick Grayson in any way shape yeah. or form even though he doesn't see Fugit himself he doesn't say oh Dick your imagination is not really you you're just tired you're bored whatever he believes him and that to me like you said, it's quintessential Batman. And knowing that he's his partner is as trustworthy as himself, as Alfred, as Jim. And that's why this loner, this who person doesn't work with others, it's the biggest lie ever told. He works best as part of his family, and that's how I see his core group of characters. Yeah. I, we've talked about this on this show earlier, but I want to bring it up again because I think it's worth knowing, especially as, uh, as we're here with an extended member of our podcasting and Absolutely. writing family. Actual family. Uh, yeah. I'd say in terms of like actual teams of superheroes, I don't think any of them identify as a unit, as a family, quite as much as the Bat family. Oh, absolutely. I think the I think a close possible possibility may be the Fantastic Four mm-hmm. from Marvel, mm-hmm. but no other team really has that family dynamic that Batman and his close allies have. Yeah, 100%. Personally. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Yeah. But yeah, and as you say, sort of, there was no second of doubt or, oh, you're bored, oh, you're just seeing something. Mm-hmm. My family member has just told me that there may be something afoot. And I'm going to pay attention. Yeah. Very well put. Very well put, indeed. Lovely. So, gentlemen, that has been our latest episode of I Am The Night. We're looking at the fantastic Batman the Animated Series episode, Time Out of Joint. And that brings us to the end of our time on the show. But before we go, I'd like to go to our wonderful co-hosts to say, where can we see you, read your work, hear your voice, and learn more about you? Cool. Hello. Um, so yes, you can find me on Superheroes for Dummies on the Comics in Motion feed, alongside the wonderful Steve and Dan. Oh, thank you. By the wonderful Adam. I did. I edited that as I edited this show. Indeed. <laughs> um, and then you can find me on Fantastic Universes podcast feed on Marvel Show Geek, where I talk to thank you so much. Where I talk to lots of wonderful people and hear their stories through geekdom. Um, you can find links to various bits and pieces at superdummy.co.uk um, and find me on a Twitter. Say hello to me. I am Paul Damac. P-A-U-L-D-A-M-A-C. Wondrous. 
Ah, I make quite a bit of content here and there across the universe for Batman and DC-flavoured things other than this show and producing the fine shows highlighted by my talent here. You can find me reviewing several titles a month on on Dark Knight News. Uh, Catwoman and Suicide Squad are both in excellent spots right now. Great titles indeed. But for my one true love, PC and tabletop gaming, look to our baby, fantasticuniverses.com, where I share my opinions on uh, open-world gacha games or competitive card gaming of all flavors. Follow me on Twitter at IsItTinkler to find more ramblings about such stuff here, there, and everywhere. For your visual pleasure, look to the Hostile Atmosphere on YouTube for my PC Let's Plays, to No Ordinary Heroes on YouTube for my D&D Let's Plays as I take some dear friends through the fantastical world of Dungeons and Dragons. But for more Dungeons and Dragons written media, look to the Apotheosis Studios blog for more things to level up your TTRPG experience. Wonderful. And do check out those videos. Check out those shows. Check out Geek. Check out Superheroes for Dummies. I promise you will not be disappointed. As for this little show, I Am The Night, it's one of several that appear on a DC Comics news feed. Alongside the original DC Comics news podcast, uh, The Spinner Rack, where Settington tells us the five best DC comics that week and the best ways of spending your money wisely. The Harley Quinn Mad Love podcast and on YouTube, DCN After Dark with Kelly Gaines. You can find all of those shows and this one on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google Play and wherever you find fine podcasts. DC Comics News and Dark Knight News can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube. As for me, type in Steve J. Ray or Fantastic Universes into your search engine of choice for my written work, news reviews, news reviews and interviews across DC Comics News, Dark Knight News, Fantastic Universes, and CBR. You can catch these sites on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube, and everywhere else you find cool internet stuff. Talk to me on Twitter at Elstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. But until you do, you've been listening to Tom McGuigan. He is the night. Adam Ray is the night. Together, we are the night. And this has been the I Am the Night podcast. Thank you for listening. And until next time, read more comics and watch more Batman. Batman.